In 2002, a man was arrested for a double murder in Troy, New York. His blood was found at the crime scene, and he had a wound on his hand. His defense claimed that he was out skiing that day with his son and fell and cut his hand on a rock. So the prosecution called upon a forensic meteorologist to testify. The meteorologist did a little digging and analyzed radar images from that day. Turns out, it rained all day, and there wasn't enough snow for anyone to ski. The man was convicted of the crimes in large part because of this expert testimony. Not all meteorologists forecast future weather. Some look back in time to deconstruct past events that have been impacted by weather. In today's episode, we dive into the intriguing world of forensic meteorology with Dr. Elizabeth Austin. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Elizabeth Austin is the founder and CEO of Weather Extreme. She's a certified consulting meteorologist and is known as one of the world's leading forensic meteorologists. She has worked over 1,500 cases ranging from aviation, wildfires, auto accidents, and even homicides. That was eerie. That was very eerie going there where, you know, all these grisly things happened. Her career has been extensive and she has some great stories to tell. So sit back, relax, and get your popcorn ready as we go off the radar with Dr. Elizabeth Austin. Dr. Elizabeth Austin, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. This is very exciting. You have a very cool career that I'm sure everybody wants to hear all about. So um, I, I don't want to start with the obvious question, which is what does a forensic meteorologist do? Because I've been asked before, what does a broadcast meteorologist do? And that is, it's too hard to answer in one question. So I want to get a little bit of background on you and your education and um, have you been doing this forever or is this something you've taken up in recent years? Great. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks very much. Um, so my background is uh, all atmospheric science and atmospheric physics with my bachelor's uh, of science and atmospheric science and my master's and PhD in atmospheric physics. Um, and I started doing, I've, well, the company I started back in 1994, if you can believe next year, it will be 30 years, which I can't even believe it. I don't know where the time has gone. Uh, and I started doing forensic meteorology actually right away because I had heard about it as a graduate student. But another graduate student had been at, um, it's now NCEI, National uh, Center for Environmental Information, but it was NCDC before and came out to a, where I was going to graduate school and mentioned forensic meteorology, the term. And I thought, what is that? And as soon as he told me about it, uh, because of all the data orders they received all the time from attorneys and insur insurance companies, 
uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to investigate this. And that's what I did. You investigated it. Nice. I like yes. that. Um, <laughs> all right. So it sounds, it's a very sexy term, um, but there's a lot of kind of unsexy parts of forensic meteorology, right? There are. It's um, sure a lot of report writing, um, but also I love the investigation of finding out what, what happened, especially on some of the more complicated uh, cases, such as, um, for example, large airline accidents where uh, as a forensic meteorologist, I'm also working with the experts work together to try and f- piece together what happened. Like uh, a metallurgist, um, there are a lot of forensic doctors to determine who was even flying because sometimes uh, in the non-commercial uh, ones, uh, aviation accidents, they don't even know who was in what seat. So they reconstruct injuries and determine who was where, um, along with piloting experts, uh Radar experts looking at the flight path, reconstructing what they can and cannot, depending upon where the flight is, how low or high it is. And then we all give a little presentation of what we found and then talk about how things piece together. And um, those aha moments when when you do, actually, sometimes it's a little fuzzy, but a lot of times there's that aha moment when you realize what happened. And, and that's, to me, really rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Um, and you're handling criminal cases sometimes as well? Yes. Criminal and civil. What what is that involve how would a criminal case I mean, I know weather impacts everything, everywhere and everybody. Can you give me an example of how you would be needed in a criminal case? You're sure criminal cases um depend on how what kind of accident it was and how they can file it. I'm not an attorney and I'm not quite sure how they do it, but there are for example, I've worked a double murder death penalty case, and that had to do with lighting conditions of an eyewitness seeing the two assailants uh, entering, apparently, the house. And then uh, also um, some of these like major trucking accidents, you know, on the highways and things, cars, trucks, you know, the huge pileups, those can be tried criminally sometimes, that sort of thing. Uh, sometimes boating accidents can be tried, you know, tried criminally. I'm not uh, an expert on how they decipher which ones can and cannot sometimes, but yeah, that's that's what happens sometimes. And then you're in criminal court as opposed to civil court. So a lot of it, I assume, is looking at past weather information. Where are you getting data from? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it depends on where the case is. Uh, we do a lot of international work, and so sometimes that we really have to dig talk to the weather services in that those countries or that region. Um, also, uh, if it's in the U.S., it, it is actually probably the easiest for us because we have so much data and, and great availability of our data here in the U.S. And, and generally, it's free, whereas most of the time overseas, it's not free. Um, and it can be quite expensive at times, depending upon what one wants, especially if you're dealing with multiple countries, then you have to deal with data from various countries. And uh, it's not usually in the format we are used to. It takes a lot of work to figure it out. But um, NCEI, um, you know, is one place, Iowa Mesonet, that Iowa State Mesonet. And, and there's so many, of course, that where we get just oodles of data. We have a, a list that our guys here have put together of locations and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's huge on where to get what data. 
So tell me about your team. Um, you ha- you've had this company for a while now, so you've built a team, I assume. What is your company like? What Do you all bring something different to the table? You know, that's a great question. That's uh, We are unique in that way in that there are about, I guess, 20 of us, and we have a wide variety, and we do work as a team. Um, no one's ever hung out to dry. Everyone does teamwork on everything. But we have different atmospheric scientists and atmospheric physicists with different expertise, like, you know, hurricanes and tropical meteorology, mountain meteorology, you know, kind of that variety. And then we have uh, our graphics expert has his uh, master's in fine arts. So we have MFA and he does a lot of our graphics and animations. And then we have a remote sensing GIS scientist and um, she specializes in all of that. So that's that tangent. Um, then we have, you know, marketing, internet, IT, uh, and then interns come, come and go, uh, as we need them with projects. So, and, and an aviation expert. I'm sure there's more I've missed, but that's kind of a, an overview of, of what we have. So can you take me through the process? Because I, I can imagine it's probably a pretty long process start to finish when you get a case. So it starts with a client reaching out and hiring you. Yes, they reach out and we do a conflict check to see if we have the case or not, or if there's some kind of conflict. Um, and then they take your CV and fee schedule and stuff, and they go to the client and get approval. Sometimes they already have approval. We have so many clients that we just work for, they just immediately just say, we want to hire you, blah, blah, blah. Do you have a conflict? And um, so they hire us and sometimes we sit and wait and just don't do anything for a while. It might be the very beginning stages of the case to where we wait until they say, all right, time to start looking into it and this is what we need. Uh, And they can drag on for a while, um, sometimes years. Sometimes I'll even write a report, won't hear anything depending upon what court it's in. Uh, Federal cases are different. They have kind of a set deadline, but then I wait a whole year and all of a sudden the, I get a phone call and I can't even exactly remember always what the case was. <laughs> and then it start, it's heating up again. <laughs> so do you ever go to court or are you mostly just writing reports that are ready? Oh, court? no. Oh, no. I go to court quite, quite often. What yes. is that like? That is so different. First, you know, sometimes you have to give a deposition. And that's the other side, taking your deposition. Sometimes you do that before going to court. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you go right to court. But going to court is a completely different animal. Going to court, uh, I like that I had I taught um, at college and university for so many years. It really helped me because getting very complicated ideas across to breaking it down into a digestible A, B, C, and a conclusion to the jury uh, is not always that easy. And I feel like I have a good knack at that and I enjoy it. I enjoy teaching and I enjoy with the jury or if it's called a bench trial, then you're talking to the judge. There's no jury there and describing what happened and answering the questions to the judge. And so it's, it's really different. It's almost like theater, except you're dealing with facts because as an expert witness, you just, you know, you're dealing with facts, but in terms of the whole goings on of walking in, swearing you in, and sometimes they'll even have the judge 
will have a door where when they go to come in, there's like a big knocker that you take it and, and they slam it to knock, 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 and the judge comes in. I mean, really, it's kind of like the movies sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost, it's like a weather meets you know, like SVU or CSI, one of these shows. Exactly. Everything wraps up in an hour, but I guess it's not that it's in real life. No. <laughs> so I'm sure you have some good stories. Do you have any um, really kind of crazy off the wall stories or things you've experienced over the years that you just never thought would happen, but did? Well, you know, there are, there are many. Um, one of them was, you know, doing site visits because sometimes we do site visits. Sometimes it's remote. So we have to reach there by helicopter or airplane or something. And so I find that eerie when you're flying the same route, the same thing in the same sort of, you know, equipment, um, thinking about what happened in the day and, you know, how it, thinking about things as, you know, the day progresses. But also, I did a site visit for um, that double murder death penalty case I mentioned. And that was that was eerie. That was very eerie going there where, you know, all these grisly things happened. Um, and But then once I get there, I get to business. I start, I measure things. I look at positions of things, terrain, because it was all lighting conditions. So I had to, you know, cloud cover, humidity, all that sort of thing with and time of day and, and terrain and the whole, you know, gamut of things that I look at. So then once I'm there, then I get into my own mode. But sometimes it's a little eerie when I first arrive to wherever it is. And it sounds like a lot of pressure, too, to get things right. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. on the line. And one very important thing about uh, forensic anyone as testifying as an expert is staying in your lane. The other side, or even the attorneys that hire us sometimes will try and pressure us to say things that we don't feel comfortable saying, going out on a limb. Um, and there's some easy examples, like, for example, we'll, um, I'll be asked, Dr. Austin, what, what could the pilot have seen then on that day? And I'll say, well, I have no idea what the pilot saw or could have seen, but I'm just going to say these are what the conditions were. And so, because I don't know, but it's, they'll, they'll try and kind of lead you astray to try and start to get out of your lane. It's, it's hard, especially when one is new at it to, to stay in your lane. Yeah. I was going to say, you, if you've been doing this for 30 years, you clearly did this quite young. What kind of training did you have in that respect to go into a courtroom and to have that sort of very, um, you know, professional way of handling things. Did you have any sort of training? Did somebody help you learn how to do this? Now, now there's, uh, there's more help, more training, some books, some things like that, that are out there and uh, that can help. But I, ha I did not have any of that. But I had been teaching for a while, because I started teaching when I was in graduate school. So I had that experience and giving talks and presentations, but I knew nothing. I mean, I'm, my very first case, uh, I went right to trial, and it was a bench trial with a judge. But it it uh, that was eye opening for me. I was I didn't even know what to expect, but it went great. <laughs> so, for anybody who perhaps wants to do this as a career, I would um, guess it's a little intimidating because it involves you know a lot of pressure for one, but also starting your own business, which is a whole other area of training <laughs> that many of us don't know about. 
any advice for somebody new to meteorology, maybe just graduating from school, who wants to become a forensic meteorologist? I have a lot of advice. One is to um, eventually get your certified consulting meteorologist, CCM, from the AMS. Um, and the other is to intern um, while you're a student with a company that does this. And if you didn't get that chance when you're out ready in the job world, instead of launching right out into starting your own business right away, I would recommend working for a small weather company or medium-sized weather company. Get your feet wet, get some experience, make sure uh, you're comfortable with all the aspects of running a company because there's so much more to it um, than meets the eye. So, and you can become so caught up in that part of it that you lose track of doing your research and doing your other testifying or work, whatever it is. Um, so it can be hard and daunting if you're just one single person or even two people that want a partner. Uh, it, it can be difficult. Yeah, I don't know if it's my age or just the time, but I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people kind of going out on their own, maybe like former broadcasters going out on their own and starting their own companies and it's interesting. I, like I said, I don't know if it's just me or that's right now that people seem to be doing it more so than ever. Are you seeing more more companies out there, more kind of solo people companies? A lot more. And broadcasters, though, they have a little edge up because people already recognize them and know them. So that they have a leg up in that in that regard. So uh, for starting their own one man or two man or woman band, that's a benefit. That's a definite benefit. Yeah. Um, but you have, of course, time on your side. You've been doing this a long time, which, um, you know, we were talking about great stories. You've written a book, correct? What is your book about? It's called Treading on Thin Air, and it is for the general public. And it's about all about weather, climate. I talk a lot about forensic meteorology, different cases, but I also talk about uh, very interesting research that I've worked on, field work, different issues the difficulties of having a family, you know, raising a son and working and everything. Uh, it's so I just, I just made it. I was just open about this is my life and this is what it's been like so far. And so it's kind of like part memoir, part weather, climate, forensic cases. I bet it's pretty inspirational because, um, you know, it's it, for a woman in the 90s, going through getting a PhD, starting your own company, and now managing that company, it's kind of a rarity in our field, you know, in a male-dominated field. Do you have any um, advice to women, or have you seen a huge transition in the science over the past 30 years for women? I've seen a huge transition in environmental, atmospheric, uh, hydrologic sciences, uh, but I haven't seen a huge transition I've seen somewhat uh, in physics, like straight physics, but that still seems to be uh, kind of a male-dominated field overall, although there are some great female pure physicists these days. But um, more women are going out into, you know, meteorology, climate, hydrology, environmental science, oceanography. I have seen a big, a big change. When I first started at uh, UCLA and um, well, it's been the early 80s when I started an, an undergraduate and the face of things has changed tremendously. <laughs> so I used to be the only female in a lot of things and now it's c totally different. It's great. 
Cool. Yes. Um, well, I don't I don't think I have too much else. Is there anything else you want to add? This was um, fantastic. I, I learned a lot myself. I admittedly didn't know too much about forensics, and it was, it's very intriguing to me. Um, just that if if anyone, male, female, whatever, has a dream about what they want to do, just go for it because there'll be people along the way that will put up blocks, no matter what you're doing, or say things uh, kind of off the cuff at times, like you don't belong in this field or never, you know, this kind of thing. Just let it wash off your back and, and move on. If it's something you really love, just keep doing it. Thank you to Dr. Austin for those words of advice and a great discussion. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We have new episodes publishing every Tuesday. If you know someone that's interested in forensic meteorology or forensic anything, please share this episode with them. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show and give me some ideas for future episodes. This podcast is produced, hosted, and edited by me. Special thanks to Eric Newell and Richard Cook for their contribution. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day.